you guys can hear me okay. Uh, what's happening? What's happening? My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. Welcome to drboycetv.com, the home for intelligent black people. And today we're going to talk about impeachment, uh, particularly uh, the impeachment of Donald Trump. Donald Trump is being impeached. And uh, he's the only president in American history to be impeached twice. And uh, so Trump's impeachment is something that we've seen a lot of black folks talking about. And what we haven't seen our conversations is just where black people are leading those discussions. Uh, we uh, should be leading. We should not just be getting led by other people. And uh, also, when it comes to Trump's impeachment, uh, I'd like to hear some different perspectives on how we as a community can really prepare for the future. A lot of things are happening right now that are affecting black people. Uh, since Trump uh, was eliminated from social media, uh, I've seen a lot of black people getting eliminated from social media. I have seen um, a lot of black folks uh, fighting with other black people over Democrat Republican stuff. I've seen a lot of um, a lot of things that, that, that really can affect our community in a lot of ways. And I want to make sure we set the record straight on this conversation. So uh, to talk about this, uh, I brought in three uh, intelligent brothers that, that I know uh, that I respect immensely. Uh, two that you've seen here before. The other one is new, but I'm telling you, you're going to like this brother too. Uh, the first is uh, Mr. Tariq Abdul-Khalik. Uh, Tariq is a very smart guy. How you doing today, man? Excellent, excellent, excellent. I'm glad to be a part of this beautiful discussion with some good people. All right, all right. And we also have an award-winning filmmaker out of Los Angeles, Mr. John F. Thomas. What's going on, John? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Y'all doing all right? Doing good, doing good. And also we have Mr. Freddie Taylor. Now, Freddie is uh, is uh, a brilliant black man. Uh, we had a conversation today where Freddie is actually helping uh, as part of a group that's actually restoring uh, the home of Malcolm X out in Detroit. And uh, Freddie also has a lot of accomplishments. Uh, now, I, I connect Freddie a lot with black history. It seems like you're into history, but uh, maybe you can tell me more. Uh, how you doing today, Freddie? I'm doing great, brother. How you doing? I enjoyed, enjoyed having you on the show earlier. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, man. Well, it was great to have you. And I did say Freddie Taylor, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Because I, I, I almost said Freddie Gray, and I don't want to make I don't, I don't want you to be Freddie Gray. <laughs> no, 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 no disrespect to Freddie Gray, of course. But, but no. Uh, so anyway, all right. So let's get let's get it started. All right. So everybody, uh, give me a yes or no. Let's start with a simple straw poll. Uh, yes or no to chat. Do you think that uh, removing Donald Trump from office, his the inauguration of Biden is uh, in I guess on the twentieth in seven days. Uh, do you think that it's necessary to remove Trump from office? Yes or no? Or do you think that uh, just let let him stay there, let the clock run out uh, would be fine? Uh, give me a yes or no in the chat on that. And uh, while you guys are answering, I'm going to start with uh, with our first guest, uh, Mr. Freddie, uh, Freddie Taylor. Uh, what do you think uh, as far as impeachment? I mean, you know, do you think that this process is necessary? Uh, if so, why? <sighs> I mean, I don't uh, I don't really think it is necessary, but. I can understand why the Democrats want to do it. I don't self-identify with the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, so uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of neutral on the sideline, wondering what what the black folks gonna do uh, and stay focused on our future and what we can control. Mm, okay, all right. So so Freddie says that uh, he's focused more on what black folks are doing. Okay, so so let me just make sure that's clear. Is that a yes or a no, or just a I don't care? <laughs> more of a I don't care, but. Uh, I, I would, <laughs> I would say yes. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I I like it more so than I hate it. But I'm I'm pretty neutral on it to be honest with you. I'm I'm more concerned about us. 
All right. Uh, concerned about us. Look, look at that. Uh, put your hashtag B1 in the chat if you agree that we should be concerned about us. Put your hashtag B1 if you're black first. Because uh, so, that's kind of rare. For some reason, the idea of black people caring about black people is just an insanely radical concept. <laughs> the audacity of a black man to care about black people. What, what's wrong with you? Um, John John F. Thomas, what, what do you think? I mean, do you think this is necessary? Uh, if so, why? If not, why? I believe that this um, is not going to be a good thing because right now you had all these four years, right, to to impeach him, to get him out. Uh, the Republicans, they could have done something about this uh, a while ago if they really wanted to impeach him. And it's not like we didn't know what he was about. We didn't know what Trump was really um, sowing division and he wasn't really a unifier as a president. You know, he was very antagonistic. We, we all know these things about Trump. So this isn't new. But to do this so late in the game and when you already have like a lot of people um, frustrated either with the election results, frustrated with uh, not getting their stimulus checks, frustrated with not being able to go to work. It wasn't just white supremacists as they're trying to paint them as all these people. And now you're blocking them, blocking uh, Donald Trump from social media and now trying to impeach him. When the attack you saw on the Capitol Hill, that's only the, the least of your concerns. You know, and trying to impeach him, it's gonna make it worse. Cause I, I heard somebody tell me, they, they were just saying, are we supposed to uh, give in? Are we supposed to let them win? It's like, that's not the case. You're looking at it as you're trying so hard, you're focused on the battle when there is a war. We're gonna lose the war because we're focused so much in on this one battle. Mm-hmm. You know, so they are focused on the war. You know, that's what we need to change our perspectives. You know, we need to win the war, not just win the battle. Mm. Okay. So, uh, Tariq, uh, now there are people who say that, uh, that you know, it might feel good to push Trump out of office, but that this could actually make things worse uh, because you could be pouring fuel on the fire or gasoline on the fire. Uh, what, what do you say to that? Well, I was just about to say that, too. I think this is very bad, actually, uh, because really – If you are a Trump supporter and you are more to the right, a conservative, you know, all you've seen the entire Trump presidency was attack after attack. And then even when the man won, automatically it was discredited because they say, well, the Russians helped him. And then after a two year investigation, it it showed that the Russians had nothing to do with this election. But it was still attack after attack. When you look at CNN, too, which is very interesting and the media, you know, they're not really really coming to grips as to why Trump was able to win. It's it's just like a very black and white. He's a white supremacist. They're not understanding that a lot of Americans are very upset with the current system. And anyone who comes in talking about talking about the issues that really matter to the people can win. Trump is not the best guy, but it's just it just feels like there's not really a conversation of what brought about Trump. And it's what the media is doing by just talking crap about his supporters is really creating a division that's making them more angry. And I don't know. It just sounds like they're trying to start a civil war. Impeaching Trump is only going to make it look worse. I mean, if we had a country, they would be like, okay, let's just heal the country. No impeachment. Let's just get Biden in office. Mm. Well, you know, uh, Freddie, uh, you've been married. How many many years you've been married, Freddie? Uh, whew, man, <laughs> uh, uh, 19 years. All right. So, you know, so you'll relate to this. 
you relate to this, you know, and I'm, I'm marrying a woman who's a, uh, a marriage counselor. And uh, one of the things I've heard uh, from our, our uh, marriage coach, as we figure out how to, um, uh, how, how we figure out how to have our disagreements and our conflict in a constructive way, is that the coach will say something like, uh, do you want to win or do you want to stay married? And I'm sure you might have heard something like that, right? And and the, the point of that is, you know, that, that you can you can really get to where you you you're in something, you're in the same boat with somebody and get to the point where you really want to win, right? And now and, and and I see America like a marriage, right? Between uh between black and white, between uh liberal and conservative, uh, et cetera, right? And and it's like, do you want to win or you want to stay married? So when I hear language that says we want to win, we can't let them win, etc., it does almost come off destructive. It comes off like I don't want to stay married. I just want to dominate you, and uh, and I don't know if that's healthy. What what do you think, Freddie? Yeah, uh, I gotta agree that that the it is like a it's a win it's a win or or go home type of attitude, right? It's all or nothing uh, in the political environment, and I think like that is like a byproduct of America, right? Like that's just kind of the mentality, but Trump entered into the office with that, you know, never surrender, uh, like the American ethos, never, never say die, always push forward, uh, never concede. Uh, and it seemed like all of that is coming to a head right now. Uh, and I can tell you in, inside of a, a family, inside of a marriage, you can't always win. That's not a viable, that's not a viable uh, outlook on things. Uh, you have to have the greater good in mind. And I think America has kind of lost that uh, that ideal of, hey, we're all in this together. They really act like they're two separate nations or two separate people uh, and they're fighting to the bitter end. Mm. Yeah, well, in, in, the, in the end is bitter. And, the, you know, when America ends, it will be a bitter end. And uh, and so um, anyway, do me a favor, everybody. If you haven't done it, please hit the thumbs up button, share, subscribe button. Uh, I've got a, a panel of brilliant brothers and we're talking about Trump's impeachment and what this means for black folks. Uh, I got Mr. Freddie Taylor, who is the CEO and founder of Urban Intellectuals. I've got Mr. Tariq Abdul-Khalik, who is a brilliant political analyst and commentator, and also John F. Thomas, an award-winning filmmaker out of Los Angeles. So if you could, please hit the thumbs up button, share, subscribe button. And also, uh, blagenough.com, that's our social media platform that we have where it's completely independent and we have complete freedom of speech uh, because nobody can purge uh, what we got to say uh, on that platform. So join us at Black Enough. You can also find people in your own community that are on Black Enough. So uh, I know um, I don't know exactly how I met Freddie. I know Freddie lives uh, close to where I live, but uh, I think, Freddie, you're, you're on Black Enough, and I think that I can actually hit a button and find out that you live a few miles from my house. So that might become important, and that, and that leads us to the next thought that I have. And I'm going to ask you about this, John. And then, actually, I'm, I'm going back to Freddie, but then, Tariq, I want to ask you as well. Uh, so, John... Uh, how do you feel? I mean, you're a creative person. Uh, you, you make movies, you, you express yourself in a lot of different ways. And uh, and I've heard people say that, uh, that 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 taking people off of Twitter and Facebook and all this other stuff, uh, that that's not censorship. Right. I, I, you know, because remember, it wasn't just Trump. They took off. They took off Trump, anybody that was connected to Trump. And then they're now it seems like dealing with anybody who just disagrees with the liberal narrative. Right. Like Vicki Dillard is never a, has never been a Trump supporter. But she was actually yanked right off the air. Like they cut her live stream in the middle of her show uh, because she was talking about what was going on with the Capitol. They could cut us off any moment. How does that make you feel just as a creative person, as an actor, actress? Or I know you're not an actress. Sorry, but you know what I mean? Um, you, know, uh, you know, when you see uh, this sort of um, move, I mean, I, it feels like censorship to me. Uh, what do you think, John? Uh, 
I've, I've heard that uh, from some fellow uh, people, acquaintances that I know out here that, you know, they, they go straight to saying that Facebook and Twitter are private entities, which are true. But the difference with this is it is such a, a widely used and major platform. And it's also, honestly, an extension of free speech. I mean, even the president was using Twitter to get his message out to the American people in a faster way. So it's not just a private entity anymore, really. And you have millions and millions and millions of people on there. So the thing that scares me, not scares me, but worries me uh, about this is that anything that I can say, all of a sudden I can be blocked. And it's not even, you know, just because, because you did this to the president, like really, who am I? I'm, I'm just the average Joe walking down the street, but you block a president, you are making a dangerous precedent going forward that anybody can be blocked. Now we have full range to do whatever we want and you can't say anything because you gave that inch and we took a mile. And a lot of people aren't seeing that. It seems like they're just so willing to cut the leg off when all you got to do is just, you know, put some ointment on the wound, you know, just put a little on, but they just hurry up and just ready to chop the leg off. No, just cut it off. I don't care. I don't care. This, he's the guy out of there. And it's so emotional. We need to stop being so emotional. And they are tying, you know, just with this white supremacy language to trigger us and to traumatize us just to be on their side. And that'll be something I'll speak on earlier, but that's, that's really what I just wanted to touch on. It's dangerous. And it will be, it'll be really catastrophic if we allow this to go forward. Well, you know what? And I, I said I was going to go back to Freddie on this because I do have a question for Freddie, but you made a point that I really want to take to Tariq uh, real quick because I know Tariq, uh, I, I can, my, my spidey senses tell me you'll have something to say about this. But, um, you know, one of the benefits uh, that I liked about, even though I didn't like the way Trump was tweeting, I felt like he was a little bit irresponsible. Um, you know, he's all he's 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 basically a narcissist in my view. He's he's kind of just you know out there. He's I don't think he should. He's the best pick for the White House, even if you're a Republican, Democrat, or whatever. But but one thing I liked about Twitter was I liked the idea of being able to hear directly from the source. You know, I, I used to trust. I used to do stupid stuff like I used to trust CNN. You know, and, and I would trust that they, they used to be the most trusted name in news. And then something changed. Either either I changed or they changed. I can't or America changed. I don't know what happened. But it got to the point where I stopped trusting CNN and the media to tell me what a politician said. So what we do now, Alicia and I, we'll watch C-SPAN because we're like, I want to see the press conference. I want to hear what really came out of their mouth. I don't want to hear Don Lemon spin. I don't want to hear Fox News spin. I don't want to hear anybody spin. Uh, can you kind of speak to that? in terms of maybe the fact that at least with Twitter, we were hearing exactly what he said and not somebody else's interpretation, which almost seems like it's being manipulated. What do you think, Tariq? Yeah, no, I totally agree because the media, the American mainstream media, whole goal is to, in my opinion, is to dumb down our country. You know, they don't really explain any gray areas. Everything is black and white. Um, like for Donald Trump, for example, he's just a flat out racist. No gray area, hates all races of people. And really, the only way to really know how Donald Trump is is really Twitter. And the brilliant thing about Twitter is that, yes, Trump has started a norm where you don't really have to just watch TV. Um, you don't have to go on the, a biased news network whose whole agenda is just to attack you. You can talk directly to the people. And that really upset the establishment as a whole because – it's interesting. Donald Trump really got 
bad media press in the 2016 election. But because he was effectively able to use social media and cut through the noise, he still won the election. And that really minimizes the media's role. So I believe the major thing with this censorship coming from big tech is, in my opinion, to push the American people back onto the mainstream media. Okay, y'all are using social media too much. Y'all are having way too many important conversations. Y'all are having these type of panels like this with black people. And that's got to stop. You know, it, it, it did almost seem like he was at war with the media, which might have been a strategic error on his part. Because um, I, I don't really know if I'd want to be fighting with the media. Like, they're human beings like the rest of us, right? They try to pretend like, oh, we're going to be objective journalists and just report the facts. Yeah, right. You know, Trump was, Trump was really insulting to the media. And I, and I get that, right? Because the bias is there. But then I also get, while they were just sitting in the cut, like, just wait, we're going to get this sucker, right? Like, I, I and, and they can't tell anybody this. But I feel like that's what was going on. I feel like they had a vendetta like like a bone to pick. Uh, what do you think, Freddie? I mean, did you get that impression at all, or what are your thoughts? Yeah, but it, it might have been his bone that he started picking it. Right? It seems like <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as he came in into uh, power and prominence, like he was going to win the nomination, he just like started immediately attacking the media. But uh, I think that their reaction definitely didn't help him. Uh, but this, you know, this uh, Me Too environment, like you can't. You, you can't upset any of the Apple cards and you end up getting censored and pushed off the air. Personally, as a business owner, it's frightening to me. Uh, and it's, I've really been jaded on the uh, on social media uh, in general just because of that. Right. Like, it, but it, it to me, it harkens back to I'm always talking about Malcolm and really like uh, Poweronomics and Claude Anderson ownership. Right. Like we got to own the platforms that we're building on, because other if we don't, we're going to be subjected to. Uh, being turned off, uh, just like the president, uh, like Farrakhan, and like a lot of us, right? And that threat is always looming over our heads if we don't own the platform. And can, can I just add something to what you just said? And, and I totally agree. But have, have you noticed that, you know, they also went after people like Parler. So it seems like they're even going after the competitions. Mm-hmm. Like Amazon, AWS, where Parler hosted its 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 uh, website, they took them off, and I think that's unprecedented. I don't think Amazon ever did that, but it seems like they're cutting you off, like all the way off, just to just to their platform, which is very insane right now. I, yeah. I mean, you, you bring up that's, that's like big, right? I, I don't I don't know anything like that that's happened. That that, that just makes me think, like, what if, like, um, you know, we're hosting our website on on our platform, and then um, you know, Comcast decides to to cut us off or ban our, our sites from anybody reaching them. Like it's, it's, that's a really dangerous precedent, even though I think, uh, you know, obviously I don't agree uh, with the, the, the far right wing, but man, it's just, the censorship is, is, uh, uh makes me a little bit afraid. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause they, they, especially like say with intelligent black people are coming together and having these conversations, how how long until they start to notice us and decide, let's go ahead and shut those guys down. So, well, I, I'll tell you, I, I mean, they already have started noticing us in my view. Uh, they, you know, remember Farrakhan been banned for a minute, you know, they, and they, and they did to, they did the Farrakhan what they did to Trump. They, they kind of all got together and colluded to say, okay, you, you're going to ban him Tuesday. I'll ban him Tuesday. Also, they, 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 you know, they did the same with uh, Alex Jones, you know, and, and it almost seems to me that the, the trick they use is similar to how um, how they locked up a lot of black men. You know, 
or, or how uh, Hitler kind of, you know, justified his position when it came to the Jewish community was basically, if I can dehumanize you and connect you to something terrible, then that gives me an excuse to do whatever I want to do to you. Right. Like, like if I go out and I, and I convince, you know, let, let's say Freddie Gray or so, I keep saying, sorry, like, ah, Freddie Taylor. Sorry, Freddie. Freddie, let's say Freddie Taylor has a friend who's a dope dealer and, uh, and, and they're connected to some terrible crime. Well, you know, I, I could somehow twist the language to say, and this is why we need to get rid of Freddie Taylor, too. Right. And that's how, you know, things like Rico charges end up working, you know, things like that. It's, you know, it's so so uh, so it does become this really interesting game that they're playing where uh, you have the tech giants in, in showing really showing their hand and showing their power when you saw that. Because I was stunned. I couldn't believe Amazon went along with that. I thought Amazon was going to say, look, we just providing cloud computing. That's it. But what it was, it was it was the connection to the word violence. When you connect them to that, then it's like, okay, anything, anything goes. This is our opportunity to shut down and eliminate all opposition. Uh, and, and that's what totalitarianism is. Totalitarianism, uh, Hitler did this actually uh, in World War II. Totalitarianism is when you basically have maybe a two-party system and you do a genocide on the other party, <laughs> right? So, so what you're seeing, in my view, is a digital genocide because you're not talking about getting rid of one guy. You're, getting, you're trying to eliminate 100 million people and, and you're trying to write off 100 million people as just these these uh, unfathomably horrible racist people. And uh, and so and actually, that leads me to my next question for you, uh, Tariq. I, I think you're the best to kind of hit this. And then, uh, of course, your brothers can jump in as well. Um, this whole idea that Trump supporters are racist, right? That, that if you are, I, I've heard people use the term Trump supporter synonymously with racist. And, uh, and I, I found that interesting because I said, wait a minute, but don't forget also that Biden incarcerated more black men than any president in recent American history. I mean, the only thing would be worse for Biden is if he was an actual slave master. That's why I say recent American history, you know, uh, and um, and on, and also, in fact, actually a little funny, little fun fact, you guys, I don't know if you know this, but actually George Bush had more black people in his cabinet than Joe Biden does. Did y'all know that? And, and what's funny is o- o- Obama had half of, of what Biden is. So Obama's cabinet was 7% black. Biden's cabinet was 13% black. Bush was 14% black. Clinton was like 29% black, right? Just not that that matters, not that these symbolic positions matter, but but I, but I think what, it, what the reason I bring that point up uh, uh, to Tariq is that that it's it's like, I don't care if you um, if you want to talk about the racism in, in, in the, the Trump supporter camp. I, you know, some of it's there, right? But, but how can you talk about that? And I also talk about the racism on the left. Uh, that that doesn't make any sense to me. Why, why does the left become a safe haven uh, when you got the racism all over the place? Uh, can you help us nuance our way out of that? Well, yeah, I, you know, I strongly, once again, I'm always going to go back to the media on that because liberals and Malcolm X warned us of this. And we're just not taking this advice at all. Liberals come to black people as our friends. They speak our language. Oh, we understand your situation. We know what you're going through. How about this? Let's have Toby be the first black person in the head of whatever department, and let's give him a lot of praise. Let's let's have black people lead this area or whatever. But what they never do is they never give us the head of any institutional power. They control that. So the, what what it does to the black mind is that we start seeing all these white people praising us, you know, giving Black Panther a bunch of black directors doing that all on the left. 
and it corrals us. It makes us very emotional to the cause. And then what they do is that they use that emotion and they fire it at their enemies. And of course, it's the right. So they see Donald Trump. They they aim their gun. Bam! That's a white supremacist. And black people, it's just crazy. We flip. All of a sudden, we didn't care about Donald Trump until he ran, and now he's the biggest racist. And it stops us from thinking logically. It stops us from thinking critically. Our emotions is used to push other silly agendas that doesn't benefit us, like the whole illegal immigration that does not benefit black people at all. We are starting to talk about more about sexuality and our sexual issues more than our own black communities. We're not touching our economic issues or anything. It's all focused on whatever white liberals say who are enemy, black people are gonna go. And yeah, that that's that is the reason why, and, and I'll be done here, why the Capitol Hill protest was called white supremacy, while the same white liberals burning down businesses and looting, that you know, that's just something we should support, and those businesses got insurance. Mm. Okay, uh, the, the, John or Freddie, do y'all have something you want to say in response to that question? Yeah, I, I just want to say uh, I agree with what you're saying. With uh, we, it, it goes that goes back to what I was saying earlier with uh, them tying white supremacy and, and pay attention to these words that they're using when they talk about this on the on the news on the media. They're trying to get you to be tied emotionally to these people who are out there protesting, even the people who are out there. Uh, that, that the protesters at uh, Capitol Hill who infiltrated Capitol Hill, all of them white supremacists, the white supremacists. These are mostly white people going after white people. There were probably a few black people, but none of them had torches, none of them had nooses. So that is more so of a white issue. Why are they white supremacists all of a sudden? And also um, with the left, same thing, like we had the movie Get Out that showed us they kind of reminded and showed white people just even just because you're a liberal doesn't mean you can't be racist. And Joe Biden has jailed so many of our own people. And they constantly we, we, we are constantly going to save and defend the Democratic Party when they don't give us really anything tangible in return. They give us symbolism. They give us jobs. They give us positions. But that hasn't changed anything for the black community in over 60 plus years. I mean, think about it. So we have still have rampant police brutality. We have excess jailing. We have breaking up of black families and homes. No growth in the black wealth in over 60 years. And we, we, are, we have uh, drugged out family members who don't even have the right mind anymore. So if we're still going to help these same people vote for me so I can do nothing for you, come on. Mm, okay. Well, uh, everybody, in case you just came in, I'm speaking with uh, Mr. Freddie Taylor, who's the CEO of Urban Intellectuals, uh, Tariq Abdul-Khalik, uh, a political analyst and commentator. Also, John F. Thomas, uh, who is uh, a, an award-winning actor and uh, director out of Hollywood. And uh, and if you could, please do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button. We're talking about uh, not just Trump's impeachment, but what all this means for black people. Uh, America is burning, and I think it's important for black people to have conversations among ourselves. Uh, also, just to prepare for the apocalypse, uh, we're, we're getting onto a lot of different platforms. So uh, I am on Clubhouse, so that's where we have some of our some of some of our top secret conversations. Even though that's not top secret, but if you want to follow on Clubhouse, uh, you can look us up over there. And uh, also, Freddie, I want to ask you this question, man. Um, you know, one of the things I, I'm seeing, you know, when you see this sort of digital genocide where they're eliminating not just Trump, not just Trump supporters, 
Uh, but anybody who pretty much disagrees with their narrative, which means us, that's where black people come in. Uh, how do you think we can sort of be proactive and prepare uh, to get off the grid? I know that you're in to do for self. Um, you know, you're, 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 you're a great man, a smart man, strong man, a capable man. Um, how do we as black people go beyond just saying, OK, look at what they're doing to us and uh, talk about, OK, this is what we need to start doing for us? Yeah, uh, I, I love one. You know, I, I know we need to own our platforms that we're communicating with in in this internet and this digital space. I think that that's wonderful as well. But it's yeah, man, I hate to say this in the times of COVID, but we got to get back to getting offline, right? We got to get back to getting connected directly to our communities uh, and directly to our neighbors, right? Uh, we we have a lot of needs that that we need to fulfill in the community, and I think that it it would help. And with us getting out from behind the television or behind the computer screen and getting in socially distanced in front of one another and starting to engage uh, on a personal level, we need to start knowing ourselves again and knowing our community and having love for one another uh, instead of just depending on these political machines to come and save us. I think uh, at least the last 60 years have shown <laughs> at least the last 60 years, right? At least the last couple of thousand years have shown that this Western ideology uh, what they think about us and what they, they're going to do for us, uh, which is nothing. So I think that we really got to start galvanizing and coming together because coming together inside of their political parties, coming together inside of their institutions and their organizations is not really doing it for us. Right. So I think we got to start connecting one to one together. So you say so you're saying we shouldn't just get together at the Democratic National Convention <laughs> at the at the black party at the Democrats. You know, I'm sure they got plenty of parties for black people at the at the DNC. You're talking about actually getting together and, and planning and, and buying land. And and, uh, you know, and I, 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 do, I agree with you. I think that survivalism, uh, that's the word of the day uh, in the environment that we're in. You know, it's uh, because because uh, America's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Uh, I, I will say that uh that that when they uh, as they're moving forward to impeach trump they're they're doing even more of what what i believe caused you know so many people to go to the capitol in the first place they're they're kind of acting like they just can't be touched like you know like we could just do whatever we want you know me and mitch mcconnell nancy pelosi and mitch mcconnell we we could sit back and and starve you out you know we could shut you down uh we can uh put your family through all kinds of hardship and you ain't going to do nothing to us. Right. And uh, almost like we live on another planet. And, and and I think that when it got extra real for them, when the people actually showed up and these people had weapons and stuff, I mean, I, and I'm not condoning any of that, but, I mean, but it was very interesting to observe. Um, I think that that was very scary for them. And so now it's like, OK, rather than responding by saying, OK, we want to at least make sure you're heard. That's one thing that, that I think is true is that you, you got to make people feel like they're at least being heard. They're saying, no, we're going to really ignore you. We're going to double down. Of what we were doing before, and uh, and so what the only thing I can think of, you know, when you're talking about th- this 80 million terrorists that you now are dealing, you you built your own Al Qaeda, not across the globe, but right in your own country, you created a terrorist organization with 80 million people in it. I don't see how they're not going to end up responding in some way that's going to make everybody uncomfortable, because because I don't. I'm gonna tell you when I saw people invading the Capitol uh, with, you know, not, not with the, this complex weaponry and, you know, and this massive army, they, they, they just broke in and there was nobody there to stop them. I was stunned. I was, I, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that T actually. Um, 
why was there nobody there to stop it? I never would have thought. Give me a yes or no in the chat, anybody listening. How many of you would have thought that there would have been hundreds of troops with, with all kinds of weapons? Like, what was going on there that uh, that allowed that to happen? I, I, I'm not going to go full conspiracy theory and say it could have been a false flag type situation, right, to justify all this crazy behavior they're doing now. But I'm wondering, what was going on there, T, in your, in your view? In my opinion, I, you know, if you look at prior to that, in my own opinion, you know, Americans was very pissed off at both parties with the stimulus thing. I mean, you got, like you said, you got two billionaires choosing, well, am I going to give you $600 or $2,000? And you saw both anger from the left and the right. It was a small unity and and like everyone was like $2,000, $2,000. And it's so interesting how Congress can fight each other tooth and nail over that. But when it comes to impeachment, oh, let's get it done right away. But yeah, so I think now when the protest took place at the Capitol, I saw a video where the cop just kind of let them in and did like this. Mm. I'm not trying to go to conspiracy, but when I see things like that, it's 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 almost as if, well, let's stir another outrage to overshadow how we failed the Americans during COVID and let's all put the attention back on Donald Trump. And that's what it looked like to me because that was very odd that those people can get close to our lawmakers like that. Well, you know what I think? I, you know, I, I, I don't doubt that at all. Uh, what I will say, though, is, you know, I grew up in a house with a cop. You know, my dad was a cop and he's a black man, too. You know, you can coexist. Those two things can coexist. Um, and uh, and 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 the interesting thing is that cops are human beings and they have opinions just like the rest of us. So if you look at the, the fact that this country is divided, you know, right down the middle, liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican. Why would you not expect the police to be divided, too? You know, I would expect that there are cops who said, yeah, these politicians are full of crap. Um, We're going to let y'all come through uh, because they need to get dealt. There were cops in the group. Now, of course, now are, are we are we sold? Are we sold that they they have an oath? that they, they have a, a moral code that they live up to, they're going to protect and serve. Like, are we sold that, right? So I, I think that, you know, that that, was, that leads to the shock, right? Go ahead, John. No, I, I also want to point out that uh, with these things, because we, we already know, like, if these people were Black, <laughs> it would be a completely different story, right? Completely different story. And people would have been, they would have brought our tanks damn near the dogs, you know, the, the bike, you know, black folks and it's all hands up. Don't shoot hands, please. I can't breathe all this stuff. But it's because it's white people. But remember, though, this summer, though, you had a, a, the Black Lives Matter groups and Antifa. It, to, to me, it's not so much about it, you know, just being black or white. But it's like if you're assisted and accompanied by a white person, you can get away with it. Because remember, Antifa has all the white people that were had black people in the group and they were burning down businesses and throwing bricks through windows, throwing bricks at the heads of police officers. And, and I didn't see, and you didn't see much of a response to that either. No, I, I, I think that's important to notify. To know, and the reason I, I jump in and say that is because I don't think it's just a racial thing. I, I think that we want to make it like, a, the Democrats want it to be a racial thing. They want it to be like Republicans, racist Democrats. We good. We're good people. I don't see it that way. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think in this, in this and this is what I'm uh, what I'm bring well circling back around to, even though they they waited and you know they they didn't attack, uh, they still had like their riot gear and you know all that stuff geared up at the Capitol Hill. You didn't really see I didn't see them show up maybe until later, but 
the thing is, these people who were coming at Capitol Hill, just like one of my guests, Jonathan uh, W. Cross, said on my uh, on the Black Boss channel a few days ago, these are the the descendants of the founders of this nation and also the descendants of slave owners. So in a sense, for the people in Capitol Hill, most of the politicians are like, oh, these people are crazy, but yeah, that's my cousin, you know, so it's, it's all good. You know, my cousin's crazy. You know, I disown them every once in a while, but they're still my cousin. So I'm not gonna go all out and bring out the, 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 the machine guns and bring out the dogs and bring out all this stuff because they are still connected. You know, it's like, yeah, they these people might, some of these people might say white supremacy, but they're still my cousin. You know, they're still my, they're still my neighbor down the street. You know, for black people and anybody else, you know, y'all, y'all are visitors here still. You know, in in their eyes, that's how, that's how we are looking. I can, I can, I can hear that. I can hear that, right? And I, I think that what, because uh, you're right. I, I think that it is harder to pull out a gun on somebody that you can relate to, somebody who looks like you. You know, I'm a country boy from Alabama. You're a country boy from Alabama. It's hard for me to pull my gun out on you. Um, but one thing I'll say is that, like, when I look and I see things like the Proud Boys, and I hear. People say the Proud Boys are, are a bunch of white supremacists, et cetera. I went looking. I went searching to find out, okay, how many black people have the Proud Boys killed? Uh, are they are they running around saying we hate black people? Uh, or you know, what are they saying, right? And what I heard was we don't like Antifa. We don't like liberals, right? And, and, and this is something that uh, I picked up just growing up in the South. Um, you know, when I was teaching at the University of Kentucky, I would meet some of the most uh, country white folks ever who would actually be some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Uh, I endured as much racism when I went to Syracuse University as I dealt with in the South uh, because there, there's a racism, uh, there's a, an elitist racism that you see that comes from liberals. This, this uh, Because remember, when slavery ended, uh, the people in the North and the South were both against freeing the slaves. The people in the North were not excited like, yeah, you letting these black people go. They were like, oh, no, no, if these Negroes come up North and take my job, I might string him up too, right? Like that's that's an unknown fact that a lot of people don't talk about is that that they black people got no love nowhere. And I and I so I go back to that basic point that black people ain't got no friends. So I think that in this political climate, what's interesting to me is that we got some black folks who really think we got friends in this game. I don't think we have any friends. I don't know what what do y'all think? Anybody want to jump in on that? I see Freddie. I'm so glad. Freddie, go ahead. Uh, okay, um, I'm so glad you brought up that point that you did your own research. And this is why um, social media is very important, because what you did is you went around the media. Could you imagine if we didn't have these avenues to go around the media and the only people feeding us this source that, you know, the Proud Boys, these racist that that's, you know, white supremacy, it can cause irrational fear in black people to want to do something to them. When we're not seeing that this is not our fight, the Proud Boys is fighting Antifa. And just to go back to the other point, Antifa actually took over a city in Seattle and they called it CHOP. I don't know if y'all remember, that was in the news. They held that city for one week. And I don't understand how nobody <laughs> calls that white supremacy. I, I just couldn't see a bunch of black people doing that. But like I said, it's that programming. It's that liberals know how to aim white supremacy in a way where they're not touched. So they're strategically even allowing that word even in the conversation. While you know when you talk about other groups, they cut you off quickly. But it's, it's interesting how they allow white supremacy to be used in our dialogue. Mm, very interesting. Freddie? Yeah, I know you got me fired up with, uh, you know, we, ain't, we don't have any friends, right? Because that's 
that's my man, John Henry Clark. He talked about, you know, if you're looking for a friend, you better look in the mirror. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ain't nobody on this planet ever done black folks any, any, any well, any had anything good planned for us, right? Uh, so I think it goes back to we better start working uh, for ourselves. And I, I, I got to thinking about the liberals and the Democrats. It's like we have a very short memory that the KKK started, you know, in Indiana, uh, in the Democratic Party, right? Uh, and it wasn't until... Uh, the, the the Southern Dixiecrats, as my dad is beating in my head, uh, moved over, uh, that it moved into the Republican Party. But as my dad is always telling me, reminding me, all them Dixiecrats didn't leave, right? All those Southern segregationists didn't leave the Democratic Party. Uh, they're there and they stayed inside and uh, the ideology is still uh, there as well. Now, they there might be a civil war still brewing, right? Because, you know, if you're in the South, you grew up in the South. You know, they still talk about the war of northern aggression, right? Like, so they mm. still haven't let this go. And if you mm. think about the images from the Capitol building, uh, they're running in with the Confederate flag, right? Mm. Um, so these fractions are still at, at, at odds with one another. And we're standing in the middle trying to pick an oppressor uh, and fight with them, you know, <laughs> let them boys fight it out uh, and figure out what we're going to do. Because, uh, again, if you're looking for a friend, we better be looking in the mirror. I like yeah, that. Uh, pick an oppressor. I like that. Or pick a pimp, right? <laughs> I want to say one thing that we need to uh, take count of too is that you know these same people, the same group that came onto Capitol Hill, they either either they are armed or they have people back home who are armed and ready to go. So if anything would have happened to them, they have an army basically ready to go and to the, this when they say from my cold dead hands, they mean it. You know what I'm saying? So, and that's one thing that we need to understand. We we are trying to go to the, the Democrats, oh, please protect us, protect us. And their agenda is taking guns away. You know, so, and that's another thing that a lot of those people who went up to the Capitol, they, they, don't, they see that coming and they don't like that. You know, it's, it's a lot of things, but again, the, the people on the right, you know, a lot of those people, they are not our friends and neither are the Democrats on the left because they're not only are they trying to give you symbolism, but they're trying to disarm you and just give you a job. Hey, let me give you a job. Don't you feel better? Yeah, there you go. Go, go, go ahead. Go back. A good boy. You know, and, and go, go vote for us again. We'll be back in the next four years. And it's the same thing <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> well, everybody uh, who just tuned in, I'm speaking with um, with some brothers about uh, Donald Trump's impeachment and uh, what's going on in this country and how it affects black people. Uh, up there, I have Freddie Taylor, the CEO and founder of Urban Intellectuals. I have Tariq Abdul Khalik, uh, who's a uh, political analyst and commentator. And also I have uh, John F. Thomas, an award-winning filmmaker and director. Uh, do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, share button, and subscribe button. Uh, if you like this kind of media, please hit the notification bell. And also uh, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you sign up for one of the platforms. Your Black World TV is a good place to go uh, because our goal is to have black conversations. You ain't got to agree with us. We don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. Uh, we just want to make sure that we're as smart as possible uh, and strategic. So, uh, so let me let me uh, let me ask you about this. Um, I'm gonna start with Freddie on this question. You know, this this makes me. You know, when I see um, what was going on earlier, we were talking about the discrediting. Like, you know, Trump it seemed was really sort of priming his base up to get ready. I mean, he he does have some accountability for what happened on the Capitol. I don't think he has all the accountability. Right. Uh, because remember, it's it's easier to get people uh, pumped up if they're hungry and starving and have nothing to do than it is to get them pumped up when they have jobs and food and 
whatever, right? So the government kind of starved them to the point where people were desperate anyway. And I think Trump just poured gasoline on the fire. But if you recall, but you know, before the election happened, he was already saying this is going to be the most corrupt election in American history. Uh, you know, they're going to steal the election. Don't let them steal it. Right. So he was getting them ready to believe that the election was stolen. And that bothers me because I'm still for the life of me. So I I, I, I get it, but I don't get it. Uh, you know, why a, a toothless hillbilly on welfare in the backwoods of Tennessee is is connecting with this, you know, narcissist billionaire who don't care about nobody but himself. You know, I've been following Trump for a long time. Trump takes care of Trump. That's it. Right. Uh, but here's the other interesting thing, though, Freddie. I, I, I'd love to get your, just your analysis on this. That whole idea of discrediting the other party is not uniquely something that was done on the right. It wasn't uniquely done by Trump. I remember, uh, you know, like I actually uh, Tariq brought this up, uh, that, that after Trump won the election, first thing the Democrats did was they tripled down on this whole Russian conspiracy theory that the Russians got him into office. And when I checked, I mean, they did that full investigation. They found nothing. They found no evidence of that. So, it, it, you know, when you say, OK, you, you're 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 dead set on this idea that he stole this election, but there's no evidence of that. How's that any different from now where Trump is dead set that the Democrats stole the election? But there's no evidence of that. Right. You know what it makes me think about, Freddie? And this, I, I'll pass the ball to you. It reminds me of like a child, like children, because that's what the people are when they follow their leaders. They're like a little bit like children, you know, and uh, and they're used to their parents working together, right? And imagine the mother is saying, your mama's a lying blankety blank. And then your mom, the mama's like, uh, son, your, your dad, you know, your daddy ain't nothing. Your daddy ain't, you know, you know what I mean? Like the child's going to be confused. It's going to, I mean, if you have a bunch of children, there's going to be a civil war amongst the children because they're going to feel like they have to pick a side and the ultimate is going to tear the family apart. Uh, is that analogy on point at all? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the analogy, but, you know, I just I can't help but to think about like black people in in this situation. Like we mm -hmm. have our hearts dead set on the Democratic Party saving us and, and doing us right. That even though you, you draw the analogy and you talk about uh, two times that it happened with two different parties, uh, we are so jaded and leaning towards the, the democratic political agenda that we can't even see that, right? Uh, so we don't even see the similarities of, they just did this, uh, uh, what Trump <laughs> was doing. And it, it's like, with nobody, critical thinking isn't, isn't a, a skill anymore uh, mm. in America. And to be able to step back, like you talk about, go around the media and do your own independent research and to think, you know, heavens forbid, uh, for a second, uh, just doesn't really seem to be it, it doesn't seem to be the American quality. I, but again, I just always zero in on us uh, and I just can't really stomach our our affinity for the Democratic Party. And they'd be on the same nonsense. You, you know, you're right. You're right. Uh, and and one, one, one shortcoming of my analogy is that I did it under the assumption that black people are fully connected or, or we are a full member of the of the American family. That, that we are no longer three fifths of a person uh, in the eyes of America, and I don't think that's true, right? So we're like the we're like the stepchild. So so the the birth children are fighting each other, and the stepchild is determined to believe that the mother is 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 the winner no matter what. And uh, and the Democratic Party is like our mama. We've been on the nipple. We've been on the Joe Biden nipple for for the longest of time. And uh, and and I think that's that that the analogy is full circle now. now. Let me let me show you all something. Speaking of the, the Democratic Party agenda and some challenges with that, uh, I'm gonna show you all a little graph that came out of uh, Dr. Claude Anderson's book, Black Labor, White Wealth. And T, I'd like for you to kind of speak on this because this relates to immigration. 
one of the things that we are consistently encouraged to support uh, as black people, one of the things the Biden administration has made their top priority is uh, is allowing millions of people uh, to become American citizens. Uh, now, uh, I don't know what your opinion is on this one way or the other. I'm not here to judge that. But uh, there are people who believe that by supporting wide open immigration, we are diluting the black vote. And, uh, and I'm going to show you how immigration was actually used to weaken uh, the political power of black people over the last 100 years. Uh, this is from Dr. Claude Anderson's book, Black Labor, White Wealth. And uh, this is page 101. If you see here, this is the immigration quota and how it was strategically structured to minimize the impact of black people of, of, in terms of population and economics, uh, politically and, and economically. Uh, you go back to 1924. Uh, they have the nationality here, the skin color, a religion, and uh, immigration quota. So if you were a white person from England who was a Protestant, you could come in the country, no problem, right? Uh, if you were Irish, you could come in, but there's a limit because uh, you're, you're almost white, but not quite, not not 100%, right? Western Europe, there's a, a lower limit. Eastern Europe, uh, here's the limit. And then you get down to the Catholics, there's a much lower limit, a big drop for Catholics from Southern Europe. Middle East, uh, just 124 people, just 124 of them, right? Uh, and then you look at, you get down to African, black, closed, zero. Not one person allowed in with black skin into this country. And, uh, and, and I don't think this is done by accident. I think, I mean, I think this was done, uh, to ensure that they don't have to deal with a, a large population of black people for various reasons. Uh, you think about during slavery, when there were a lot more of us, when we made up a much bigger percentage of the population, there was that big fear that we were going to get together and actually have some real power. And then now politically, uh, the, the number one agenda item on the, on the Biden administration, one of the top agenda items is we want to have more and more people coming from, from outside the country. And that seems to dilute black power in terms of uh, politics and economics, et cetera. Uh, T, what, what are your thoughts on what I just showed you? No, and yeah, and I, and I totally agree because it does kind of dilute that black block vote as well. And what's the problem I have with that is, you know, black people aren't really fighting for any ta tangibles. And I feel like time is running out. And when I look at the massive illegal immigration coming into this community, I think of low income black people because not a lot of black people own businesses, unfortunately. So they're having to compete with them. And not only that, you got to think about where are the drugs coming in? You know, the drugs are also flowing in into the black communities, which I believe this is another reason why the border is open. And if you think about this, if you are a young black man who you can't find any work in your area and you are desperate, you may get into the drug gang. And then what happens when you get into the drug gang? Now there's crime involved. Now, now you're killing people. And it's just to me, it's just not doing black people any favors, you know, and I don't I just I just don't see how this is going to elevate the black community by us fighting for other people's issues. You're muted. I think oh, you're, you're muted. muted. You're muted. Yeah. Boy, hey, you're sorry muted. about that. I was muting myself. I, I need to be muted. They, they they need to shut me up like Trump. Uh, but um, the uh, but yeah, while, while you were saying that and I'm gonna pass the ball to you uh, next, John, but there was uh, actually an article I, I Googled on this, and I knew I, I just typed it into Google because I knew I would find something. And let me show you all this. This is just me trying to make sure everybody just gets some fair, accurate information. Uh, I, I, how you process it is up to you. I, I believe in freedom of expression, freedom of thought. So I don't judge you on what your conclusions are, but I just want you to really think things through. So check this out. This is an article called How NAFTA Helped Create the Modern Drug Trade. 
And uh, why does this matter? This is an article in Vice. And the first line say that NAFTA was passed 25 years ago this week and helped open crucial drug smuggling uh, routes for Mexican cartels. And you go down, it says the North American Free Trade Agreement took effect 25 years ago this week, boosting trade across the United States, Canada, and Mexico, but it also helped fuel the modern drug trade. Why is that important? Well, I live in this place called Chicago. And in Chicago, we've had a consistent problem of young black men dying in the street. Uh, nobody talks about it because everybody talks about what, what's going on with police killings. Nobody's talking about the fact that every single week there are dozens and dozens and dozens of black children being shot up in the streets of Chicago. Now, uh, I, I believe it was Bloomberg did an analysis and they found that it was actually uh, that the reason for all a lot of these murders was because of the open drug trade of people coming up from south of the border. The cartels were coming through, and Chicago is in the middle of the country, so it was a hub. Like, airlines have hubs. Chicago's a hub for the drug trade. And so anybody who cares about the black community would, would address this, would talk about this. And the fact that this was all occurring literally a, a block away from where the president of the United States was living. You know, I, I lived two blocks from Obama. I, I didn't know it. I just picked the place. I didn't know I lived that close to the guy. I just went for a walk and said, wait a minute, I think that's the president's house. Um. Yo, people were being shot, are being shot to this day, two blocks from where Obama lived. And uh, and all the while, everybody talks like like police killings, you know, that that's just the number one thing that's killing all the black kids. And, and we know that that's a problem. But what about these other things that don't quite fit into a political correctness box? Right. At what point do we have the courage and the intellect to step out and say, OK, we, we agree with you on this, this and this. But over here, we got to go go over here and do us. And as a community, it is hard for me to figure out how black people benefit from wide open integration, I, 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 immigration, excuse me. Why, why, how do we benefit? Uh, you go to different parts of the city, jobs that used to belong to black people don't belong to black people anymore. Uh, you, you talk about the, the death of these young people. Those are drugs. We don't make co We don't grow coca leaves in the hood. We don't make AK 47s in the hood, but somehow AK 47s and coca leaves end up in the hands of our kids and they end up dead. Right. Uh, we politically, uh, we don't benefit when we are bringing in lots of people and, and, and making this false assumption that because you're from south of the border, that you are my ally. Uh, if you ever want to see racism against black people, Fred, Freddie could probably speak to this. Go to South America and you'll find that they did that, that the racist people in South America hate black people more than some of the worst bigots in America. Like their racism is at a whole different level. You go to Brazil they hide, they'll, they'll hide like 20 million black people. Like they'll just, you won't even know they exist. I don't know, Freddie, give, give me some thoughts on that, man. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's interesting you say that because, I mean, you know, Brazil has the largest African population outside of Africa on the, on the, in, on the planet, right? Uh, but you wouldn't know that, right? They, they, they are definitely not highlighting that. Um, but just listening to you talk about the racism in South America, it makes me think about uh, Marcus Garvey, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I love history, right? I always say I'm not a historian. I'm, a, I'm an enthusiast that like to use history to motivate people, right? But Marcus Garvey, you know, before he started his uh, United Negro Improvement Association, he traveled all through, uh, he really traveled around the world, but he traveled throughout Central America and South America, and he just talked about how everywhere he went, he found the black man on the bottom, right? He found the African on the bottom. And he said, if we can't find any organizations or any people that are going to lift us up, because he kept saying, you know, where's our generals? Where's our army? Where's our navy? Where's our shipping ports? Where's our ships? Where's our everything, right? Like, where are our big men of big affairs? He said, if I can't find any, I'll build them myself. And, uh, but 
he he really talked about the racism down there in South America. It's really thick. And, uh, you know, you get that when you uh, see some of them that look like us, but they don't really we don't really connect our uh, our mingle with one another. And there's a reason for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I, and I, I, I just think that they conveniently don't mention that. But then again, why should they? Right. Why? Why should they? Tell us? You know, why, why should they? T- you know, people that are trying to screw you psychologically don't usually inform you of what they're doing. Right. right. So, um, uh, by the way, uh, Madam President just came in. Uh, AKA Chanel Walker. And so uh, you are the officially the only woman on the panel. So that means uh, I want you to talk next. So, uh, so Trump's been impeached uh, or he's being, yeah, he's being impeached uh, for the second time. And, uh, and America is divided. Uh, It's probably going to get worse. Uh, What are you seeing from your, your point of view, uh, Madam president? You are muted. I'm going to unmute you. Well, I think you got to unmute yourself. Go ahead. Thank you, Dr. Watkinson. Um, Good to see you, fellas. It's good to be amongst good black men. I always enjoy that. (laughs) Um, So first, I want to say that sometimes I feel like it's all an illusion. You know, like this idea, I can just say this. And a lot of people don't like when I say this, but from my life from um, President Obama, my life to Donald Trump just, just never had a personal effect on my life in general. Now it could be because I don't have a government job. It could be because I don't work, you know, for in, in any of the federal arena. That's not how I make my money or anything like that. So I don't want to discredit that the importance of government if that's where you get your source of income. Um, also, too, I don't work in a sector where you know I get grants and things of that nature. So I just have never been um, just what's happening in the government just just never had an effect on me. I'm from the hood of Chicago. You know, I'm a part of the forgotten community. You know, my mother uh, was, she had me at 15 years old. My father was killed by the time I was 12. So I am a part of the forgotten people in this country. So when it comes to what's happening, I'm not surprised, but I feel like um, America is at war with itself. You know, when I've seen this this battle with these white men, it's just something beyond this. It's something beyond the understanding or the surface of just black folks in general. It's kind of like, like your grandma say, uh, that ain't your fight. That ain't your business. Mm -hmm. Something is happening that ain't got nothing to do with us. Okay. When it comes to Donald Trump and white men like him, um, from everything that's been happening, they've been falling apart and having these inside wars for the last few years. And it, I'm sorry, but it has absolutely nothing to do with black people. They tried to put us a part of it when it came to election time. But like they say, um, they don't know you. They like the boy, the the dude in the hood who don't like you, but want to sleep with you. They don't, he don't know you in the daytime, but in the nighttime, it's election time. It's like, Hey, remember me? I love black people. But nobody really cares about black people. Black people, it doesn't matter what's happening in this country. They try to, the illusion of inclusion, the illusion that you're a part of this. But what's happening is we have to really decide, and I'm going to pass the mic, of course, but we have to really decide which black person are you? As a woman, I ask myself, which black woman am I? Am I Stacey Abrams? Or am I Sandra Bland? Because the middle is some kind mm. of way forgotten. Um, mm. When you're not, when you're not being praised, you know, are you being pounded by this country? So you have to ask yourself, which side am I on? So a lot of times, visually, we can't get past exactly. We can't get past the praise. Oh my God, 
uh, we just start talking about, you know, everybody who's doing well. Then we just kind of forget that, oh, you just had somebody killed for going to the store getting Skittles. You just had somebody killed in the playground. You just had somebody killed for jogging. Which part of this country you want to hold accountable? Mm. Which mm. part? Wow. Praised or pounded. I yeah. think that's a that's a great way to describe uh, the black experience, right? You know, praise the pounded. John, John, do you feel? How do you feel as a black man? You feel like you feel like you get praised or pounded, both, neither. What, what, what do you think about that? Man, you know, this, this the black experience is being praised at times when you go along, especially with the liberal side. You're praised, but as soon as you say something in regards to just black people in general, and you're not really trying to bring everybody else in it, then you get pounded. Like, see what happened with, with Ice Cube. You know, he was trying to bring something to the black community with the contract for Black America. Not saying that he was choosing a side. I just want to ask some questions. And then all of a sudden, the media starts pounding him. You know, and, and Ice Cube has never done anybody wrong. And he's never done, but they started lumping him in with, with other ignorant kind of rappers who doesn't have anything to say, Little Wayne's and, and other stuff like that. And Ice Cube is a very intelligent brother. But you know, with the stuff like this, and like I said, with the, the Democrats, you know, which on a sense, you know, they, they always come to us and say, hey, let's protect you from the big bad Republicans. Come with us. We're going to help you, you know, get get be able to vote and all this other stuff. But if you think about it, in all of these cities, like in some of the most Democratic cities, it's really bad for black Americans. Like we we don't. We, it's hard for us to to find jobs like the jobs that we did have. They were taken away. And just like you said, give it to immigrants. Uh, there's plenty of drug issues and drugs imported into those democratic cities. And a lot of black people are still recovering from that, those drugs that was entered into our community. Uh, a lot of black people are being locked up, just like Chanel was talking about, whether I'm buying Skittles, I'm walking home, I'm minding my business, I'm jogging, I'm driving, we're being shot. And the Democrats know what's going on, even with redlining. Red, we were being redlined. All of these things, voter suppression, they know this stuff is going on, but they haven't changed any of it. But then here, you, here comes Stacey Abrams, and they know about voter suppression in Georgia when she comes and she helps out all the, a black person, comes and helps out all the black people. Let's get you all signed up. Let's get you to vote. And in turn, helps out these same white people who know about these issues, but do nothing about it. Mm. But yet they want you to come and vote for them so they can continue doing nothing about it. And, and that's, that's, that's the issue that I have. And I, I, I say for this next uh, election, seriously, let's withhold our vote unless you bring something to the table. I don't, I don't want Black Lives Matter on the street. I don't want a certain mascots taken off that were once offensive. That's nice, but I need some tangibles. Bring some money. I want reparations. I want uh, money to invest it in our communities or with our programs, not you overseeing the money, us, we are over the money. We are over that. Invest in our own businesses. Don't just give us jobs. That's not bringing wealth. That's just helping me be able to pay my rent every two weeks. I'm I'm basically a check or two away from bank from being homeless. So jobs aren't doing anything. We need some real tangible. Well, let me show, let me show you something, and then I, I want to go to uh, T, uh, to, uh, T on this. Um, and, and actually, T and Freddie, I'd like to to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, before we uh, finish up today um, and have everybody give a, a, a closing thoughts. Uh, here's another page from uh, Dr. Claude Anderson's book, Black Labor, White Wealth, which everybody can get a copy, by the way, at powernomics.com. 
uh, all your kids need to read this book. And uh, it shows the number of black elected officials. You saw where Stacey Abrams was uh, giving credit for saving America and saving democracy, saving the Democratic Party uh, by getting helping get black people elected. Um, but but let's ask ourselves, you know, does the election of black elected officials really make a difference in the black community? So what Dr. Anderson did was he showed uh, how the number of black elected officials over time has impacted uh, various measuring sticks of quality of life for black people as a result. So in 1964, you had 103 black elected officials. By 1992, you had 8,000. 8,000, that's an 80 fold increase. Uh, the unemployment rate went from 10.8% to 14.6%. So black people were more unemployed with 8,000 uh, black elected officials than we were when we had a, just 103. Uh, incarceration rate, let's check that out. Uh, 33%, we were 33% of the prison population in 1964. We were 45% of the prison population in 1992. So we made a higher percentage. We were getting locked up more with more black elected officials than we were uh, when we had fewer. Uh, next, uh, blacks below the poverty line, Poverty rate remained exactly the same. Uh, wealth did not go up, uh, at least for the poor. Uh, poor, so you think that the Democratic Party, at the very least, uh, you know, they, they're one of the their talking points is we want to help the poor, working class, things like that. Well, that there's no there's no evidence of that right here. Also, per capita income as a percentage of whites uh, in 1964, we made 53 percent of what a white man makes. By 1992, we made 59 percent of what a white man makes. So uh, this idea of equality, even when it comes to income, uh, there's nothing there to say that 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 changed very much at all. And uh, and and really, when it comes to wealth, actually, the wealth indicators show that we're going backward. We're actually losing black wealth. And uh, and, and that just says right there at the very least, uh, T, that what we're doing ain't working, that getting black people elected into office. Uh, we could have 10 million black elected officials, but it almost seems like there's a big difference between a black person who's in office versus a black person in office who's representing black people. Uh, can you kind of speak to that, uh, Tariq? Well, yeah, and I just want to agree with Dr. Cornell West when he said black people really need to get off that emotional symbolism crack pipe because that does nothing for us. I've stated this before. The black people, just like, uh, you know, let's take, for example, and may he rest in peace, but John Lewis of Baltimore, you know, if, if you look at Baltimore, Baltimore got a lot of destroyed, abandoned homes. It has high in crime. And he's been running over it, and it's not been changing. Or even look at Lori Lightfoot in Chicago. Chicago still has all of its problems. Is she addressing any? And I remember, Dr. Bush, you had a, a segment where uh, I, I, it was under her watch where a, a black lady you know, was standing outside in the cold or something along those lines. I remember you speaking about that. And, you know, she had a chance to address that when it came to police and nothing happened. So the, the thing is, what they like to do is they like to pay these pay these black people to speak for black issues. But then they go off and they veer off and they start talking about legal immigration or things to do with sexuality. And lastly, none of these black people who are presented in front of us as our leaders, they never talk about reparations. In fact, many of them say they don't think we need reparations. Reparations is not the answer. And how is that that they're not connected to the body of black people who are like, no, we need reparations and they get elected and they don't even bring it up. It's not even brought up as a topic of a conversation. Mm, OK. All right. So um, so let me uh, move to you, Freddie. I know that you are uh, you're big on black economics and or, or black economics, as you as we might call it. Um, what, what are you seeing in that chart that I just showed? Uh, it almost seems that 
if, if we're trying to really have some power in this thing, uh, that this ain't the way to get it done. This this ain't this is almost uh, almost so bad that it's not so much where you would say like let's not elect a black person. Like it's almost like it's like an indifference point. Like who cares? Yeah, well, and in that chart, I see the cognitive dissonance of the black community, right? Because we, I mean, there go the evidence laying in front of you, factual and actual, but because it doesn't feed the narrative that the Democratic Party is going to save us and this political process is going to save us, like we don't, we don't deal with the reality, uh, and that's something I think that we need to get away from. I want to, I want to, I want to introduce a book, brother. I'm a, like a voracious reader, and this one was a killer for me. Uh, Black Power, right? Uh, the Politics of Liberation by Kwame Ture uh, and Brother Charles Hamilton. It's a, it's a great read. I know your audience, yourself and your audience, if you haven't read it, you will absolutely love it. But it just, it basically talks about how, you know, the Democratic Party just got this string on us and it's really using us, uh, putting Black figureheads in places that give you um the the face of inclusion, but they have no teeth, no backbone to actually back any politics or anything that will benefit your society. They really just stuff in their cell, uh, their own pockets. And again, the numbers already speak to this, right? So it's not like I'm making this up. The numbers show uh, that we have more politicians, but we don't have uh, our our community isn't improving. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just um, that cognitive dissonance just really in the community really pops forward to me, and uh, you know I just think it's sickening. Again, I, I'm a Malcolm X fan. He said it in '64. You know, in the Ballad of the Bullet. I think like that is that's still the seminal speech right there. That's what we need to get back to. If you in, and in this time, this is my last point. In this time, uh, with the nation being so divided, it only again highlights the opportunity for us. Because now you are the voting difference, right? If you just withhold your vote from the Democratic Party and hold them hostage, right? It's close with your vote. Without your vote, they lose automatically. So if you just withhold your vote instead of giving it away so freely, um, then we should we could have some change and, and some teeth in this matter. But uh, we don't want to take an election or two off and take it on the chin. You're catching it on the chin anyway. So I don't understand why you won't do anything that would benefit your future and make and make these clowns actually listen to you uh, and take you seriously. Mm. Well, let, let me, uh, you know, sp- since we're talking about Malcolm and by the way, everybody, everybody should know that Freddie is actually part of a, a group that is restoring the home of Malcolm X in Detroit. And, uh, and I definitely, I told Freddie already, I'm going to make a donation and maybe Freddie, if you got a way people can reach out and, and donate uh, to the project. Uh, I, I'll give you room to say that toward the end or, you know, et cetera. Um, but, uh, but I'll say this, uh, I, I, uh, while Freddie was talking, I looked up Malcolm X's ballad of the bullet speech and, uh, and I'd actually done an analysis on this, um, for one of our black movie nights. And, uh, and, and so one of the things that, uh, I, I'll read a little bit of this, uh, to you, uh, that, that this is what Malcolm said. And what's fascinating about it is that he said this 60 years ago. And uh, I, I would imagine that Malcolm is rolling over in his grave to find that the same politics that worked 60 years ago still work today. He, he's probably wondering like what 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 is going on? What what are they putting in the food? Uh you know what's going on? I mean can you imagine if 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 we any of us died tomorrow, God forbid, and in the year 2080 and 2090 and the year 2100, black people are still having the same conversations, still being twisted and manipulated in the same way, have moved backward in terms of wealth. How would you feel? How would you feel if you found out in the year 2100 
that black people have not made any progress relative to 20. I mean, it would be very depressing, right? Give me a yes or no. All right, so yeah. let me read some of this uh, Ballad of the Bullet uh, so you can kind of hear what Malcolm was saying 60 years ago. He said, in this present administration, they have the House of Representatives, 257 Democrats to only 177 Republicans. They control two-thirds of the House vote. Why can't they pass something that will help you and me? In the Senate, there are 67 senators who are of the Democratic Party, only 33 are Republicans. Why the Democrats have got the government sold up and you're the one who sold it up for them. And what have they given you for it? Four years in office and they're just now getting around to some civil rights legislation. Just now, after everything else is gone, out of the way, they're going to sit down now and play with you all summer long, the same old giant con game that they call a filibuster. All these people are in cahoots together. Don't you ever think that they are in, in cahoots together. Uh, for the man that is heading the civil rights filibusters, a man from Georgia named Richard Russell, when Johnson became president, the first man he asked for when he got back to D.C. was Dickey. That's how the, how tight they are. That's his boy, his pal. So what he's, it sounds to me what Malcolm is referring to is the fact that the people you think are your friends are are, are buddied up with, with some of the most racist people out there. That they they are, um, uh, they're, they're, they kind of, you know what it kind of reminds me of? Uh, is is that relationship between uh, Joe Biden and Strom Thurmond. Uh, now, now, if anybody knows this, give me a yes or no if you know about Biden and Thurmond. And I'm going to share my screen here so you can kind of see how, how buddied up they were in, in, uh, on Capitol Hill. Strom Thurmond was one of the most notorious racists in the history of politics. I mean, this man was terrible. And here's pictures of Biden with Thurmond. You know, they look like father and son and best buddies. And so you would think that, right, if, if given if we make this assumption that racism it's such a repulsive thing that 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 any affiliation with racist behavior or any sort of um, uh, of agreement with it or support of it is, is problematic. Then uh, I don't know how you can separate, you know, what 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 Joe Biden has been affiliated with, with who he is as a person. Because, again, if, you, if you're going to connect Trump to all these other all these terrible things that are happening in this country, then it seems to me you can also connect Biden with things that he's been connected to people that he's worked with, uh, you know, because he's, he's probably closer to Strom Thurmond than Trump was to the Proud Boys. Trump didn't seem to know who the Proud Boys were. Doesn't mean he's not a racist, but he seemed like he wasn't even sure who they were. I know who Joe, I know Joe Biden knows who Strom Thurmond was. <laughs> they were buddies. They were on speed dial. So anyway, with that being said, um, I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to shut my mouth uh, because I think the panelists should, uh, I'd like for them to get their last uh, statement in. And also, everybody, if you're watching, please hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button. You can go to the allblackagenda.com. We uh, don't just talk. We put together our own agenda that you can implement in your own family right now, tomorrow. So there is no waiting on any politician. Uh, we'll talk about what's happening, but also we're going to talk about what we're doing. So go to the allblackagenda.com. There's investing strategies. There is um, a link to Ice Cube's contract with Black America, which is very good. Uh, there are uh, tips on family building and um, health tips from Nathaniel Jordan, the minister of wellness, so that you can have a strong immune system so these viruses don't take you out, uh, you know, things like that. So feel free to go to the allblackagenda.com uh, and hit the thumbs up button. So what I'm going to do is I'd like for each of our panelists, if you don't mind, uh, g- give us your closing statement and, and kind of let us know what we can walk away with so we can be better people. Uh, I'll start with you, uh, Mr. Freddie Taylor. You're our special guest for today. Uh, what say you, Freddie? Uh, well, I guess I'll end with uh, our talk about our push for, for Malcolm. Since we're talking Malcolm, right, I'll talk about the house. So I'm from a city called Inkster, Michigan, uh, and I actually grew up 0.5 miles away from a home that Malcolm X used to live in when he was in Michigan uh, for about 12 years. His brother actually owned the home. Uh, Malcolm X and his family 
uh, would live there in and out when he was in Michigan. And the home is like in dire conditions. Uh, I was able to get in contact with uh, the brother that owns the home. His 501c3 actually owns the home. So I'm working with them now to uh, start generating uh, funds so that we can re- uh, renovate the home. It's going to be about 50 grand in total uh, to re- totally renovate the home, $20,000 to really get the project started. So I'm looking to be uh, one of the uh, linchpins in getting this funding for this for the spot. Uh, brother Boyce has said he will already jump in uh, and assist with the project. So we would really appreciate y'all uh, assistance. If you're interested, I'm still working with them to get their um, donations up, but you can go to urbanintellectuals.com slash X house, uh, urbanintellectuals.com slash X house, uh, join our little quick mailing list. Uh, and then we'll, we'll shoot you an email as soon as uh, it is available, right? Uh, my, my dream, my forecast is to see 50 people give a thousand dollars. I think we can knock that out really quick. Uh, but if you could give something smaller, that'll work. Uh, but again, if you just go to urbanintellectuals.com slash X house, uh, you can join the mailing list and we'll make sure that we'll get that out to you as soon as it's done. This is one of um, the homes that is still uh, up. It hasn't been destroyed just yet. I know uh, Boyce and I were talking about Brother Malcolm living in uh, Nebraska. That home has been demolished. It's gone. There's nothing but a sign there. Uh, so we're looking for an opportunity to salvage our history uh, because, again, the things that we talk about, if we don't do it, who's going to do it, right? If we're looking for a friend, we better look in the mirror. So I see. I see my reflection out there uh, in you. So I'm looking for some assistance in making this project happen. I think it's worthy. I think uh, we got to we got to salvage and appreciate uh, our ancestors that have lived before us and fought and died uh, in the struggle for us and to make sure that their memory and their legacy lives on. Uh, Inkster, Michigan is a is a small town. It's like two miles by three miles wide. Um, Extreme poverty. But this could be a light inside of the city. Uh, that we can do. We're already working on getting a historical designation for the home. So that's looking like it's going to go through, but it's not finalized yet. Uh, so we're working on that. So I'll leave the group with that. Urbanintellectuals.com slash X house if you're interested. All right. All right. Uh, Tariq Abdul-Khalid, uh, what, what's your final thought? Okay. Yeah. So this may be controversial, but it's it's something I have to say. And this is for black people who, who are talking about white supremacy. Um, if you're when you when you bring up that topic, are you bringing it up to truly educate black people to, for independent thought, or are you just scaring them? Because a lot of black folks are, we are missing the point of what's going on in this country, what took place at the Capitol riots, and why Trump got elected, and we're just just simply reducing it down, which is very intellectually dishonest and fear mongering black people to just this is just a bunch of white supremacists, and and it's just preserving whiteness, even though white people are fighting each other, even though they are censoring each other to the, to the point where even the president gets censored and his bank account, um, Dutch, Dutch bank um, censored him too as well. We're just boiling this down to just white supremacy. And this is what this is causing black Americans to do. When it comes time to vote, we vote out of paranoia and fear We don't even want to talk about reparations. We don't want to talk about policies. All we vote on is we got to get this racist Republican out so that way nothing can happen to me. And this is why Ice Cube was shot out. Now, people were seriously accusing this man of working with racists. Okay, this is childlike mentality. We got to break out of this. So if you're talking about white supremacy, 
do not repeat it in the way the media repeats it as far as we're only going to call white supremacists Republicans and liberals off limits. This is why black people vote and behave the exact same way every four years. And that won't change until we change the dialogue and elevate. All right. Change the dialogue and elevate. I like that. I like that. John, John F. Thomas, your final thoughts, sir. Yeah, I'd like to echo what uh, Tariq was saying. We need to stop being so emotionally triggered. We are constantly being emotionally triggered. And that's something we really need to fight against. Um, the media and our politicians, the, well, not our politicians, but the Democrat, the Democratic side, are using these things like, I mean, just pay attention to like what they were saying with the Capitol Hill, oh, white supremacy, white supremacy, white supremacy, all this stuff. When they're both the same wings of the same bird, both of them are, are practicing in white supremacy. It's just one is covert, the other is a little bit more overt. Neither of them are our friends. So we need to really just start paying attention. Listen, watch CNN and see these little cold words. And they, they're, they're talking about all these things that are wrong, but they're never presenting solutions outside of just either symbolism or jobs. That's not fixing anything within the black community. It's not fixing anything at all. If they really wanted to help, they would do more. But we have to do that. So what we need to do is withhold our vote for sure, the next election, and tell them, no, we're not giving you our vote. Give us tangibles. You need to give us something real in return, not symbolism, not positions, not jobs. We need more than that. Also, we need to invest in our own businesses and our family and friends' business. So even if your cousin Ray Ray is selling something, maybe you can't even afford it. Give them a donation. Uh, we need to start buying, uh, buying land. We need to stop putting money into these companies these white companies or any other companies that are either in our community and aren't investing back into our own community. Are they just taking our money and leaving? Because a lot of them are. And we're just giving our money away. We're giving away our wealth. We need to start giving that wealth back to us and investing in us so we can see it and watch that grow and really use that. Um, and last but not least, um, like I said, save your money and we need to start buying our own politicians and stop having, stop believing in Biden, who locked a lot of our black men up to come and save us when he locked a lot of our black men and women up. So how is he now going to save us when even at the time he didn't even want to apologize for what he did? So that's a real issue. Mm. Wow. You know, like uh, Ice Cube had a song um, uh, called Everything's Corrupt. And the chorus was, for my birthday, buy me a politician. You know, and, uh, and 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 they are for sale. And uh, and you look at Warnock down in Atlanta, where uh, Madam President lives. Uh, War Warnock Warnock uh, might have got his votes from black people, but he didn't get his money from black people. Not not all that money. He had a it, it took a hundred and twenty four million dollars for Ooh. Warnock to win that election. So when you think about money on that level, that ain't that ain't that ain't money that you get from the hood. That's money you get from the corporations and the billionaires. And uh, and believe me, these people did not get rich by giving away donations and getting nothing in return. They're not they don't they don't they vote with their dollar bills. The corporatists and the rich people, they vote with their money and they don't do charity. They do investments. So when they put one hundred and twenty four million dollars behind your black butt, you you better have them. They're they going to have you on speed dial and you better pick up when they call. And those people will be the ones at the top of the priority list. So, Madam President, well, give me your final thought. What, what, what can we walk away with today? 
Well, Dr. Watkins, and it was good to see all of you um, gentlemen this evening. I just want to say that I can't help but think about uh, Malcolm X. Um, he's a hero to black people. He just never got his flowers the way that he should have when he was here on this planet. I wasn't even born. But what I will say is um, he he made the he brought it together one time in a um, in one of his sermons and one of his speaking engagements when he says that when white when the white master is feeding his slave you know, the slaves start to get the mindset that this house belongs to him too. So when master say that he's cold, he say, okay, you know, we call this here is a nice house that we have here, boss. So we are always kind of like moving as if we're like constantly have to figure out or uh, be inclusive in what's happening in this country. So like I said, the illusion of inclusion is really what's really killing us from progress. Because when we really identify that, well, you're not really for me. Once we understand that this person or this environment is not for me, then maybe we can do something different. But um, I also want to just bring home that when Harriet Tubman was freeing slaves, she wasn't going around saying, hey, follow me. She pulled a gun on people and it was called move or die. And the reason she had to was, I can't let you, you've been manipulated mentally for over hundreds of years. You ain't about to get me killed. So I leave you with that. You have to ask yourself, is the person that I'm following been manipulated for the last hundred plus years? And if the answer is probably yes, I think you need to go your separate ways. All right. All right. Madam President, thank you very much for those final words. And uh, thank you all for hanging out with us tonight. And I want to say thank you to our panelists, uh, Mr. Freddie Taylor, Tariq Abdul-Khalik, uh, John F. Thomas, and Madam President. And uh, everybody who's watching, if you could, uh, we, we're going to do pan- we, we've been doing a lot of panels like this. We're going to keep doing more and more because black people need to speak. And uh, if you actually want to uh, participate in the panel, if you if you have something to say, uh, send your bio, send your bio to producer at flynubianmedia.com. That's my manager, Taryn. She's a very nice lady. Uh, that's producer at flynubianmedia.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from intelligent black people. Uh, so I, I hit the thumbs up button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe, subscribe button. It's very important that you follow the platforms because, uh, because like I said, they're, they're shutting everything down. I don't know when they're going to shut us down, but I want to be able to connect with you. You can also connect with us via text by texting the word voice to 31996. Uh, so make sure you subscribe and all that stuff. Now, let me let me sort of end with a final thought real quick. Um, you know, when you talk about uh, what's going on right here in America and you talk about racism and white supremacy, uh, the, the white supremacy is everywhere. But I don't really think white supremacy stands a chance against black excellence and black unity and black love. I think black love is the most powerful force in the universe. Black unity can't be stopped. And uh, black excellence is the greatest thing that the world, this world has ever seen. So I believe that if we uh, have black excellence, black unity and black love, uh, then we have the ability to do whatever we want, create whatever world we want, et cetera. Now, the only thing that can undermine our ability to pursue those things that matter, black love, black excellence and black unity is mass distraction. They have weapons of mass distraction that they use to get you caught up in Democrat versus Republican. Uh, who's the white supremacist? What, what other people are doing, what they think about you. They don't like me. They said this about me. They called me the N word and all that. And I'm telling you people that, that are deeply invested in black excellence, black unity and black love. Not only have they overcome all of those things that you talk about, 
but they overcome them because those things barely exist in their minds. When you when you're busy loving your black family and loving your community and loving your black woman and pursuing excellence in your life and unifying with other black people who have as much love and excellence in their heart as you do, then you know that no force can stop you. It's 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 literally you literally become the unstoppable force and the immovable object. So what I think everyone needs to understand is that the reason you see a lot of black folks getting distracted is because you you see people who are not rooted and grounded in all the things that make us great. Uh, you know, I, I the reason I invite the folks on this panel to here today is because I know that they're rooted. They're rooted in excellence, unity, and love of our own people and of each other. And we, when we work together and do what we're doing, there's nothing that can stop that, nothing that distracts that. So what I really want you to understand is that the best way to overcome white supremacy, honestly, is to not even really acknowledge it. Uh, that that's the best way to overcome something. You know, they they say that the the opposite of love is hate. It, it, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love really truly is indifference. Uh, because when you hate somebody, when I'm sitting around mad about what the white man did and what somebody else said and what somebody thinks about me, then I'm giving them power. I'm breathing life into whatever nonsense that they're putting in my ear. And and and, and the only time I really overcome them is when I've completely annihilated them from my my day to day thinking. So when I get up in the morning, I'm gonna tell you the truth. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, that woman I love in the other room. I'm thinking about these babies I love that's in my house. I'm thinking about my friends and family that, that I'm surrounded with. I'm surrounded by my, my fellow soldiers and soldierettes, you know, like Madam President and Freddie, Freddie Taylor and John and Tariq and everything else. And, and I'm thinking about being excellent and, and also thinking about unity because this country is falling apart. Uh, America's ripping at the seams. And that can either be a uh, a reason to be distressed or you can see it as an opportunity for black folks to actually go in here and grab something for ourselves. So uh, just know in the middle of chaos, somebody's always winning. The people that win are the ones that are strategic. So so be strategic, even in the middle of chaos, and I guarantee you, you will win. So thank you guys for hanging out. It was real. Uh, thank you for the, to the panelists, uh, Freddie Taylor, Tariq Abdul-Khalik, Madam President, John F. Thomas. Have a good night. Everybody hit the thumbs up button. We out. See you guys soon. Take care. Peace.